Today on the Art Dealer Show, we will hear gallery owner Alex Salazar say, People have asked me repeatedly, how much money does it take to open up a gallery? And I've always said a million dollars. Very specific. They're like, why a million dollars? I had a million dollars when I opened up a gallery. I no longer have a million dollars. Hello and welcome to the Art Dealer Show, a podcast for and about the people who sell art. My name is Danny Stern, and today on the show we have owner of Alex Salazar Fine Art, art dealer of San Diego, California, Alex Salazar himself. Now, this is just part one of what will eventually be a two-part episode. Sometimes the conversations, they're just too good to chop down into one episode alone, as you know from some past episodes, assuming this isn't your first time here. But even in just this first chapter of the two that we'll be getting into with Alex, we hit on an incredible list of points along his career that are ones that I think anybody in this business is going to take a lot of serious interest in. Let's start with what it's like to downsize from seven galleries that span all over your city down to one little showroom in a residential part of town to better your business. Collector leads that come from the gym, figuring out the way maybe to grow your market is by growing the market of all of the galleries around you. How collectors want to talk to the guy whose name is above the door and no one else. Turning a divided couple over one painting into the purchase of two paintings, embracing the salesman part of being an art dealer, and a lot, lot more. But before we get into all of that, I'm planning on heading on over to the old art dealer bar and grabbing a quick drink just to get my head on straight. Uh, I've had a few experiences over the past week that I want to share with you. And, and if you're interested, you should come along with me and have one of your own, too, while I, while I share this with you. Okay, are we all settled in? Do we have ourselves something nice to drink? Are we comfortable? Excellent. I want to start with uh, telling you where I've been. Earlier this month, I was in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And the reason I was out there was our partner, Redwood Media Group, was having a show. Uh, they were having Art Santa Fe. And I wanted to go out there and say hi and see the folks that would be at the show as well as a visit with some of the galleries that my company sells to out there, one of which being Chuck Jones Galleries. Got to meet my friend Tashi, who I haven't seen in a long time. Hey, Tashi, I hope you're listening. I also uh, took the opportunity to cruise around and visit with several of the hundreds of galleries that are out there in Santa Fe, meet with the gallery owners, meet with the directors, the art dealers working the floor. And uh, I made a lot of new friends. Matter of fact, I know a lot of them are listening to the podcast as new listeners right now. So hello to everybody. And typically these days, now having this podcast, when I go to a place, if I'm out of New York or Chicago, wherever it is, I like to seize the opportunity to set up a couple interviews. Meet with folks who I normally couldn't get into my studio here in San Francisco, California, hang out, have a conversation on the mic. A lot of the times... I know exactly who I'm going to talk to. I know a lot of people in the business and just about every corner of the industry and probably more people I want to interview than I'll ever even really get to. 
But in this case, in Santa Fe, by chance, I just don't happen to know a lot of folks. I know Tashi, but that's about it. And before I went out there, I uh, decided to do a little bit of recon on the phone and email and poked around and called up some folks, trying to get a sense of who would be the art dealer in town, the gallery owner in town, who I should not miss. And I was rather surprised that no one really had anybody to offer, which is quite amazing when you think about it. I mean, like I said, there are many galleries. I mean, that's an understatement. Let's be clear and to the point. There's about 250 plus galleries in this very small community. It's almost impossible to not run into someone in our business just walking down a block. They're everywhere. And then, as the trip grew closer, and I realized I wasn't coming up with anybody to interview, which was sad on its own, uh, another concept came across my mind because I was starting to get a little bit obsessed by the idea of how many galleries are there in this small place. It's unlike any other art market I know. I mean, there's a lot of galleries in New York, but they're spread all over the place. If you go to Canyon Road, which is one of the hot spots, you can hit 50 galleries in the course of an hour if you just keep on walking, just in this one little area. So eventually I decided that that is my focus. Not an individual like I usually have on the show, one person that can go deep into their life as an art selling professional, but Santa Fe itself as an art market. That would be my guest. That would be the story of the show. But how to do it? And I came up with an idea. And it starts here. I would start with the one person I knew, who I knew would participate just because he's my friend, and I would put the mic right up to Tashi. And here's Tashi now. Okay. And uh, your name? Tashi Sanchez. Your gallery? The gallery director at Chuck Jones Gallery. That's how long you've been here? 17 years with the gallery. And then I would ask Tashi a question. I would say, what is the one question you would like to ask of the other art dealers in your market? Now, I thought I was being clever because this is really touching upon the thing that I was already picking up on, which is the art dealers in this incredibly concentrated art selling market don't actually seem to know each other. They didn't know each other even enough to be curious enough to suggest a person who would be good to be interviewed on the show. Not one. So I asked Tashi what his question was, and he came up with a really good one. I'd be curious to know, after you have a wonderful art presentation, you've connected with a client, you come to the close and they ask about a discount. How do you bring it back to the art after that point? Now, I, I presume one of the reasons why you're asking this question is you encounter a lot of clients coming in who have been offered discounts in other galleries here in Santa Fe. Uh, do you ever have an experience where they're confused because other galleries offer it and you don't? Definitely. I think, you know, once they um, come in and they ask for it, they kind of look puzzled if I kind of tell them that I don't discount and I go back to the art. Then they'll say, well, you sure that you, you know, can't discount? And quite often they will leave. That was a fantastic question. And here's what the rest of the idea would be. I would take his question and then I would walk down the street and go to the very next gallery. 
And then I would introduce myself to whoever it is that was working on the floor. It didn't have to be the owner, didn't have to be the director. It could be any art dealer, anybody who is currently selling art in that moment. And I would introduce myself, tell them a little bit about the show if they didn't know it, and then tell them I have a recording of a question from another gallery in town that I want to play for them and that I would love it if they could offer their answer. I got to say, I love this idea. I thought it was brilliant. Look out this American life. You've got nothing on the art dealer's show. We were going to profile an entire town's business, talking from one person after another person, and allow them to do the interviewing, albeit indirectly, with each other. Asking the things they've always wanted to know about their neighbors, but for some reason, because of the crazy nature of our business, never walked out the front door of their gallery, turned right, walked into the next gallery, and asked them what was going on. This was going to be fantastic. And what I got was this. Well, sure, of course, not all gallery people would be on board for this. There's 250 galleries in town. I just went to the very next one. So I thanked them, and I moved on, and I asked the next gallery to listen to my recording, and I got this. And then the next gallery. And then the gallery after that. You getting the picture? Look, they were all nice. I mean, really nice. Like I said in the beginning... They became very friendly with me, and some of them have even written me emails since visiting with them. I truly enjoyed getting to meet all of these gallery owners, but none of them felt comfortable talking on the microphone. I mean, these are people who talk for a living, talk to strangers all day long. Anybody who walks in the door of one of these galleries is going to get greeted by a smile and a hello and welcome to the gallery. And they're going to open up a conversation impromptu, virtually nothing at all, about the artists who are hanging on their wall and the things going on in the lives of the people who are visiting the gallery. But they didn't want to talk on the microphone. They didn't want to explore their business, their thoughts on the business, what was going on with their neighbor's business. Nothing. Actually, let me correct myself. It wasn't that they didn't want to explore that. They were nervous. If the person I was talking to didn't own the gallery or even direct it, they would tell me I need to talk to the director. And if I got the director, they'd tell me I really need to talk to the gallery owner. And if I got the gallery owner, they'd go, ah, you know, not when there's clients around. That was the most common thing they would say. I don't want to talk about anything when there's anybody who's in earshot. I don't mean they're in the middle of a presentation or there's somebody who needed to be helped. I mean, that was understandable. They were just afraid that someone might walk in and listen to them talk about the art business. What, what business is it that we're in? It's kind of spy business? Are we grifters? I mean, what we do is pretty basic all in all and fairly honest, if you ask me. We put up pretty pictures on our walls and we try to introduce them to people who like them. And we try to find a place in their homes for it. Pretty much that simple. I mean, it's not, it's complicated and it's hard, but the complicated and the hard part is nothing to be ashamed of. It's not the hiding of the making of the sausage here, really. I mean, if you've listened to the show before, we get into the nitty gritty, but there's really nothing to cover up around here. So what is it? Why is it that it's not only not in our instincts to want to talk about what we do and talk with each other, but it's, it's actually a fear. It's an insecurity we have about it. I mean, really, 
I know it sounds a little bit crazy, but people got nervous. They got awkward and uncomfortable. And, you know, I can be a little bit abrasive, but I'm a nice enough guy. I mean, look, after I put the microphone down, we started talking, we laughed, and we had a good time. So it can't be just me. But here's the funny part. After we started laughing and hanging out and getting to know each other and swapping contact information and all of that, they would, more times than not, turn to me and say, Hey, since you are doing this show and talking to a lot of art selling professionals and going around town and asking questions, let me ask you, what's going on out there? What are people doing in their galleries? What is happening? How are, how are people doing? To say, isn't that incredibly ironic? <laughs> well, sometimes some words are just a little bit too on the nose to be the right word to use. Hey, that isn't a total surprise why any of this happened. I mean, it's the actual reason why I started this podcast to begin with. It's been about 20 episodes now since I did my original introduction to to my thoughts behind why I thought this show should exist or why even I wanted it to exist. That even though we have shared language, culture, and history, for whatever reason it is, it is also very much in our nature to not come together, to not talk, to not really share. And it is going to be to our detriment. It's killing me that the more that I'm out there, the more that I'm talking to gallery owners, the more I'm exploring where we are in this profession, the more I realize the one thing that is threatening us the most is not the economy, it's not the state of our culture, it's not the change of the times, it's not the change of the generations, it's not all those other things. It's that we are not learning from each other. And if we can't learn from each other, then we really don't grow. I've got to say, if there is one thing that you or anyone else in our business can do that will better our own businesses and will better the businesses of those around us, that will even better our entire industry, is as simple as stepping out of the front door of your art gallery, turning to the left or turning to the right, and walking to the very next gallery down the street, walk in, say hello, invite your neighbor to a cup of coffee, and have a real conversation. But until we all do that on a regular basis, hey, we've got the Art Dealer Show. Now it's time for the ads. Here's some advice a good friend once gave me. He said, if you should ever become president, name your country, doesn't have to be the United States, and you're under suspicion of collusion, espionage, or even threatening the democratic process, Get yourself a lawyer. Get one that specializes in that field. And in the same spirit of my friend's advice, I'd like to give you some advice of my own, some art business advice. If you are putting on an art show, if you are releasing a new artist into the art world universe, if you have a new print release, if you have something big that you want to announce to the industry at large or art collectors around the world or even art collectors-to-be, don't just rely on your Aunt Peggy who thinks she's in publicity. Call a professional who knows what they're doing right in our industry. 
You call the folks over at Relevant Communications that you can find over at relevantcommunications.net. Their owner and industry expert, Allison Zucker-Perlman, and her team of publicists who specialize specifically in the art business are going to help you in ways that you can't even imagine. Go over to relevantcommunications.net and see what they can do for you. So just the other day, I was reading a recent copy of Art World News. Yes, I read it. Of course I read it. And I was noticing something as I was reading one of their many interesting stories. I was noticing that the person who they were covering in that story, I've read about them before in the magazine. Not recently, years back. And then it occurred to me. I see a lot of the people who I know in that magazine, people I've known for years in our industry, written about month after month, year after year. A lot of times it's the same folks coming back. Is it because the folks over at Art World News have a really small Rolodex and don't know any other people to call? No, that's not the reason. They like calling people. They'll call anybody. No, they're calling them because these are the people who really have made a difference in the industry. They're calling them because these are the people who succeed. These are the people who not only succeed, but who have lasted in our field. And there's a reason for that that the people who survive in this field are the people who continue to try to learn about our business. And how do they do that? They do it by also reading Art World News. Years ago, there was a comic that did a routine that I loved. Don't ask me the name. I've completely forgot who it was. But the routine went along the lines of this. He said, I'm out there looking for a girlfriend, and the only advice I get is from friends who say, if you want to find a girlfriend, the right girlfriend, someone special, then what you need to do is do the things that you love. And while you're doing them, you'll meet a girl who also likes those things. You'll have a lot in common. And then he went on to say, I've been sitting on my couch for years getting high and playing video games, and I haven't met anybody yet. That is my feeling about art fairs, specifically the art fairs put on by Redwood Media Group, who you can check out at redwoodmg.com. Redwood Media Group brings everybody together. You have to get out there and do more than get high and play video games. If you're selling art, go to the fairs and show some art. That's where the perfect collectors can be found. It's kind of like a dating service, but for art dealers who want to make a living. Give the folks over at Redwood Media Group a call and find out how you can participate in their cool art dating pool. About 15 years ago, I put on a show with an artist who we were representing then and no longer are in La Jolla, California. And while I was out there, it was the first time I would meet a young gallery director by the name of Alex Salazar. This was not your normal gallery director. He was smart. I mean, really smart. And he was great with people. And he was great with his staff. He not only was fantastic at being an art dealer and running an art gallery, but he was doing it with a passion that I seldomly see come from people who do not own the gallery themselves. Alex, of course, like every other great gallery director or art dealer who really takes on his position like an owner, well, they eventually leave and become an owner of their own gallery. And normally the future of that is relatively predictable and has a fairly normal incline to it. They'll build their gallery and have a neat location, maybe move it once or twice for rent purposes or a better location, and the artists will get better and they'll get more collectors. But Alex is different. 
Alex took off like a bullet racing out of a gun. Quickly, one gallery turned into two galleries, turned into three different kinds of spaces. He was putting on shows with incredible themes, often in partnership with major organizations. He did everything dynamically. He did it fast. And everything he did was always interesting. It seemed like every couple months I was getting some blurb about Alex being in the paper, Alex getting an award, or Alex opening up a new space. That's why when I started this podcast, I knew when I had my first opportunity to go down to San Diego to start interviewing a couple people down there, Alex would be number one on the list. He has always been a fascinating person. I knew he would have a million things to talk about. What I didn't expect was what I found. That Alex, in the same level of energy that he exploded and opened up many locations, had turned his entire model around. But now, turning on a dime, Alex is working with an entirely new business model. He is no longer trying to become big by being big. He has chosen to become big by, well, well, you're going to find out in just one second. Last time I left you, you had a big gallery on the other side of town. Massive gallery, right? I mean, how many square feet was that? 5,000. 5,000 square feet. You had been there for five years at this point? Uh, six years, actually. Okay. And you had some satellite galleries you were running too, I seem to recall. I t had a total of about seven locations where I was paying rent. I like to say it that way. Seven? Seven. Uh, the interesting thing about it is that when I was branding the gallery, I, I sort of did it as a necessity because I was in different spaces, different areas where that clientele would not leave, such as La Jolla and Domar. Uh -huh. um, so I opened up the gallery in La Jolla just sort of as a pop-up that was there for three years just to keep in touch with the client base that I had from previous galleries that I worked at that were just not ready to come to downtown and especially to where I was located. So, But now you're paying all these rents. So I was paying all those rents, and I slowly started to cut them out one by one um, in one year, not like every year. It was in one year I started to just phase them out because I just couldn't staff them. The staff that I was hiring, just they weren't producing. Uh, they, You know, you want a manager that's not just going to manage, but it's also going to sell. And the sales just weren't coming in. I guess no one works as hard as the owner is what I've heard. And, and I couldn't find the right twin. <laughs> so it wasn't the market, it wasn't the art, it wasn't the locations, it was specifically if you had staff that could do the job. I Part of it was location. Yeah. Um, I mean, I had great inexpensive rent downtown as opposed to La Jolla. So even though I had more sales in La Jolla, even in the number figures, it was all going to rent. So I wasn't profiting more. But for branding, it was important that people said, oh, he has a gallery in La Jolla, he has a gallery in downtown, he has a pop-up in L.A. So all that just made the brand strong enough for people to trust it and buy from it. So no matter where I went after that, people were attached to it, or attracted to it, I should say. 
And so you were kind of okay with net neutral on all of them as long as yeah, I was one okay. place was I wasn't, the profit. I wasn't in it for the I wasn't in it for the big bucks yet because I knew it was going to take. Everybody says five years. Like uh-huh. after, if you make it in five years, then you're going to be gold. And after that, or you're going to make it. So I just want to hit that five year mark. I, I didn't think I was going to make it to one year. To be honest with you, I uh, I left a very secure job at a very established gallery in La Jolla to open up my own gallery at my peak. Peak was, meaning you're making. Mean your I was making a lot of, of money. Yeah. yeah, I was making a lot of it's money. It's also occurring to me that you were the version of what you hoped to find for your own gallery. Exactly. The is you did exactly what is the problem of getting people like you. It's just if you get that good, you want to go on your own. Right. And and I, I sort of realized that it was time for me to move on and do my own gallery, mainly because my mom passed away. And she used to always tell me, why don't you have your own business? Why don't you have your own business? And I never did it out of fear. And I was comfortable. I'm like, why do I need to? I don't have to pay the rent. I don't have to pay the bills. I'm making money. I don't have to deal with the headache. you know. And I decided to go for the headache <laughs> of owning your own business and actually working three times more and trying three times different things. And that's, I, I guess that was the perks of it is that I was able to really risk. Whereas when I would bring ideas to my previous uh, gallerists that I worked for, they just would tell me, like, they didn't even want to do Facebook. <laughs> they didn't want to do any marketing. They didn't want to do social media. They said, just come in, do your job, and go home and make your money. And don't come in with these creative new ideas, such as Facebook. And I used to get in trouble for being on Facebook all the time, marketing, marketing, marketing. It's also important to know when this is in history. Right. This isn't Facebook 2017. This is right. Facebook 2008. Yeah. Right. So that's, that was interesting to me because now that I see that those locations are now very, very heavily involved in social media, I sort of say, God, I wish you would have listened to me. You know, I would have probably stayed, but I'm glad that it didn't go that way because I, if not, I would have stayed and not have done what I've done. So if they just allowed you to follow your kind of creative direction that you really think it would have just kept on going on and on and on? Yeah, I, well, I think that I... Because I know I've always, you as being so entrepreneurial. Yeah, I'm always out the box. I get bored very easily. And um, which is why I'm constantly involved with different organizations and charities and loaning art to gyms. You know, I have two appointments today and both of those clients that are coming in to buy art saw the art at the gym. So my philosophy is when I started putting art up at the gym five years ago, these are high-end gyms. It's not just, you know, Joe Schmo gym. These are where members pay $150 a month to be there to work out. So I thought, That's "Hmm." still a big leap, though. I mean, I've been asked to do things like that. Usually my response, not as courageous as you, is I don't have an art dealer down there. There's no one in front of it to make the connection. I now am going to become dependent upon them writing down the information and remembering it and then eventually making a phone call and then following through with that. And that's a big, yeah. long walk. And it's been five years of, of figuring it out. And nowadays, people do take pictures with their phone of your business card on the wall. Uh-huh. And when they're ready, they'll call you. Uh, if anything, every day that they work out, they see the art, they see a change, they see your name. And if one day they think, hey, I need to buy a painting, the first thing that comes to mind is the guy at the gym sells paintings. And then we have a tourist uh, connection where a lot of these high-end gyms have visitors from out of town that just need somewhere good to work out. We have athletes, we have celebrities that go there. 
uh, it's pretty amazing that it's worked out because I did it as a favor. The owners of the gym are from Houston, Texas. I'm from Houston, and they pulled the Texas card on me and said, hey, can you help us out, fellow Texan? Uh-huh. And I said, uh, absolutely. And I asked him for a free gym membership <laughs> that I never had time to use yeah, because I was working so much. <laughs> but uh, I made it to where every time I would go to the gym to switch the yard, I would work out. And the reality is that when you just did yoga, you just worked out, when you don't have somebody, a salesperson up in front of you, you're more receptive to what, what's on the walls. While you're waiting in line to, for water and there's a painting there, you're looking at something. It's sort of like uh, the marketing. I don't want to compare it to this so much. But it's sort of like reading the newspaper while you're peeing. <laughs> you know, there's something to do while you're waiting. Uh-huh. And at the gym, while you're waiting in line to do whatever, there's art there for you to enjoy. And people do. I, I go in there and I observe what they're doing. And they're reading the little bios. They're reading my tags. Um, they'll call me and say, hey, I'm visiting from Chicago. Uh, I need a painting. This is my budget. Because I, I basically go straight for what, how much money do you have? Because the art that I put up there is a mix of high, high end and and really art that's just 500 bucks. You know, it. I, I really keep it to where the range is affordable, and I remind them. Have you adjusted and over I adjust, time of finding out where that sweet spot is? Of course, I recently had to tell an artist who was pricing his work at seventeen thousand that he should price him at eight mm-hmm. or five even. Uh, because after three years of zero sales, it's either you adjust your prices or you pick up your art. And um, fortunately, I know what is the sweet spot in San Diego. And it's usually the $5,000 to $8,000 mark. Anything after that, people have to think about it. Mainly because San Diego is a secondary market home. So a lot of people are only here for two months. Uh, They'll visit San Diego. uh, Then they'll come back and buy a condo to stay at the next time they visit. So a lot of my clients, I only see once a year. Uh, Very few have permanent homes here where they're here all year long. So that's always been a challenge. And But you're kind of catching them in that sort of Hamptons moment, aren't you? Yeah. This is their leisure time that's, of their year. They're here on vacation, yeah. and they I ship art all around the world more so. I should have my own shipping company, to be honest with you. Today I'm dropping off eight paintings to get shipped. Um, I've often joked that there's times I don't feel like I'm in the art business. I do feel like I'm strictly in the shipping business. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, yeah. So we're, I'm loading all these paintings to go to the, sh- to the shipper and pay the shipper. So it's, it's you know, and it's just me right now. I have a personal assistant who helps me with personal stuff. All right, well, let's roll back to that because I, I, I'm curious, just to state it, you no longer have those galleries. Right. We're now sitting in a... 750 square foot space. Uh, not in the primary part of tourism here in San Diego. It's right. a little bit more up with the... Residential. Yeah, it's with the condos. Yeah. It's, it's where those people you just described really live. Right. This, I, I'm sort of the neighborhood art dealer, and that was my approach. Uh, I give all the residents... For, I'm surrounded by high rises uh, that all start at a million plus. But let's go to the decision-making process, because, I mean, that's a... Most gallerists don't have seven galleries, and most gallerists by the time they've closed down their last open-to-the-public brick-and-mortar, they're in retirement. Right. So you did two radically different things than most people listening have done who own galleries. So what was the process of going from, I'm going to have seven, and now I'm going to have virtually kind of one? Well, people ask me, people have asked me repeatedly, how much money does it take to open up a gallery? 
And I've always said a million dollars, very specific. And they're like, why a million dollars? And I had a million dollars when I opened up a gallery. I no longer have a million dollars. So I justify it by saying, okay, seven years, million dollars, that's about 200 grand a year. So that's not so bad. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. You know, I got my bills paid. I'm still alive. I'm healthy. Did some traveling, went to New York, did this. So I look at it as it balanced itself out. But now it's time for me to make that money again. And I would not make it if I were paying other people's salaries out of my own pocket. So do you think the, that set of economics is a factor of the times? Do you think in a different time you could have supported seven galleries? Or do you think that's never practical ever anyway, that in the end it always comes down to this? Or did you have to do all of that to build up the client base to be able yeah. to get away with this? Yeah, I had to do all that to get to where I'm at, to where my branding was solid. Like, I don't have to put newspaper ads anymore. I heavily advertised for five years, heavily. Uh, and, and you did a lot of high-profile stuff. A lot of stuff. you know. And, and that's the thing is that I, I just wanted to put all my profits into marketing just so that people knew who I was. And all of a sudden, I was a com- you know, in competition of the top three galleries in San Diego, getting awards after awards after awards, where I became sort of a threat. But um, I never saw it as, as a threat because I wanted to have some unification amongst the gallery owners, which just doesn't exist in San Diego, unfortunately. Uh, there's Did it ever? Not in the 17 years that I've lived here. Have, have I seen any gallery owners come together? Which, ironically, is something that I've always criticized, um, even to their face. Well, what would you think that would happen if they got together? Uh, I think great things would happen. I think that uh, clients would not feel that they were cheating on their dealer by going to another gallery owner, a gallery event. I think that sharing the wealth or sharing the success of, of an art show to your client base and them doing the return is just good things can happen. I think that it allows dealers to really support a scene that has been hurting in San Diego that doesn't really flourish because people are temporarily here and they leave and try to go to New York or try to go to LA because there's no mutual support. And I used to do this. I used to always promote other galleries and say, go to their show, go check it out. You know, hey, everybody on social media. And some of them were like, why are you telling people that? Why are you sending people over here? Like, who are you sending over here? I'm like, who cares? I'm sending you people that read this, that follow me. And and if you sell them, great. I don't expect anything. Uh, Just return the favor. And I never got the the ball back. Hey, I'm sorry to interrupt. We'll get back to our conversation with Alex in just a second. But I wanted to point something out. You're about halfway through this episode. And it means one of two things. Either one, you have fallen asleep and it's just played on and on and on and on, whether you liked it or not. The other one is you kind of like the show. And if you do like this show, well, maybe you can help out a little bit. Now, don't worry. I'm not going to ask for money. But there are a couple things you can do to help me. First of all, you can subscribe over at iTunes. Secondly, you can review us. But most importantly, you can share the word about the show. Do you have a friend in the business who hasn't heard the show yet? Let them know about it. Have one of them fancy Facebook pages? Put a little blurb out. Let them know what you're listening to. Okay, now back to the show. And for those of you who fell asleep, the Art Dealer Show is the best podcast you ever listened to. I must tell all my friends about the Art Dealer Show. 
It's funny. I was just having a conversation like this earlier in the day, and we were talking about how now we have a lot fewer galleries, period. Yeah. And I was lamenting that's a problem. Yeah. I go, because we need it to be normalized for the yeah. industry to work. That is, people need to experience it as if that's a thing that happens all over the place. There are lots of galleries. People buy art all the time. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be the only last art dealer that's right. just not going to serve you. Well, all the galleries in San Diego that were prime are are all in that retirement phase. Uh, Scott White, uh, Quint, they're they've all sort of gone into that private cells as well. So, Is it for just me, because they all started around the same age, they've been doing it for twice as long as I have. Uh-huh. You know, and uh, and they have their you know their museum contacts. They have their museum collectors. Their blue chip artists. They they have built artists up to from square you know from square one to all the way to blue chip, and they have not been able to replace themselves, which is always the problem. Uh, and just as so, I stopped looking for that. I've seen what's happened with other gallery owners. What do you mean, replace themselves? Replace th- themselves as far as somebody I mean, they as have good to as be them. on the floor of their gallery doing it. Yeah. Period. Yeah, and a lot of people do not want to buy from a salesperson. Yeah. If your name's above the door, they want to talk to the person whose name is above the door. Uh, it's a luxury good. It's it's a experiential purchase where people want to feel that they bought this not just from Alexander Salazar Fine Art, but from Alexander Salazar himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's you know I I read something about Neiman Marcus and they said that true owners don't feel so responsible unless they put their name over the door. And I this article really really hit home for me and I'm like I, I have to put my name over the door um, there was a joke of don't call yourself the corner art gallery because what if you have to move and you're no longer at the corner <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah right or, or galleries that name themselves after their own address yeah yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> but is it perhaps a setup like maybe you know I'm just testing it out here okay mm-hmm. let's say you didn't call yourself Alex Salazar Fine Art Let's say you called it something like White Cube. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> right? I had White Box Contemporary. That yeah. was my other gallery. The other okay. brands was White Box So they don't know who the name, who the owner is. Right. And I, I did that specifically to um, just separate my emerging artists with my, I don't want to say, bl- sort of mid-career artists mm-hmm. that I would not have gotten into my profile unless I separated them. Because they've worked very hard. They have their degrees. They have their master's degrees. They're professors. Very different than, you know, a 22-year-old guy that just picked up the brush and having them on the same page of your website didn't seem uh, balanced. Mm-hmm. So I separated probably the, the, the stuffy of the group <laughs> that uh, wanted to feel a little bit more special. And I p- placed them in White Box Contemporary. And those were the artists that I took to the fairs. Uh, those were the ones that were a little bit less sellable, but more marketable. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Like, yeah. I would get more articles out of them. Right. So, and that's the thing is that, so now what I've done is I've been doing more brokering. So I'm also reselling and buying and reselling and representing, and but I'm not taking on new artists anymore. Blue chip or uh, market? I have a hair. I have a herring surrogate on the wall right now, and uh-huh. and I had four of them, and I had a Tubasquiat. Again, you know the print markets in the thirty-five to fifty range, yeah, which is still good. Um, but they're coming. Those clients 
are coming to me with their artwork now that otherwise wouldn't have if I didn't have the credentials myself. So my credentials have allowed me to sort of touch into that, tap okay, into that audience. Okay, now you open that door. So yeah. <laughs> let's talk yeah. about your credentials. My yeah, well, I, I mean, I've I've always been a geek. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but I you mean, have I studied, more paper on your wall than most yeah, people and I, and with I put, on this business. I mean, I have my degree right behind my desk. I, I went to Harvard. I have a master's in uh-huh. religion and art. And I have a second master's from Boston College in sociology and art, um, which I was studying basically the effects of art in communities, yeah. uh, specifically like murals and uh, the Virgin Mary, what a, what a mural of the Virgin Mary would do to a Hispanic community. And, you know, it was to me, it was the effects of art in mass. Um, and that was the sociology aspect. In religion, it was the same sort of twist, but more so in a historical context of of the story of art told in pictures through religion. So the icons of you know Russian iconography and whatnot was the starting point. I mean, that was the starting point of my interest in art, not necessarily my interest in a dealer. <laughs> yeah, but I'm wondering within your own life. You know, you grew up in Texas. You're like, yeah, that's what's so Imagine, you know, that symbology is really mm-hmm. heavy within the community. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've always wondered why. Why do we have a picture of JFK and the Virgin Mary all in the same wall? <laughs> you know, it was always. I grew up with that. Do you have a better answer than I would come up with? Well, I, he's Catholic, and there's that's it. Okay. <laughs> that's the, yeah, he, he was a, he was sort of like Jesus-like, I guess. To me, imagery has always been appealing to me, probably because I, I do better with images than I do with, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not into math, I'm not into science. Um, I've always been into reading and, and, and pictures. And I started buying art at a young age and didn't realize I was buying art. I was just trading for stuff. What kind of things? Um, for my friend John Segovia, for example, in third grade, he used, I used to love Mickey Mouse and he used to do drawings of Mickey Mouse. So I give him a couple bucks for some Mickey Mouse drawings. <laughs> I still have them. And he has just returned to, to drawing again. He's a great illustrator. And, and it's sort of, it's, it's, I, when I try to pinpoint when did I start buying art, I'm like, oh my God, it was like when I was fucking third grade. You know, granted, I wasn't buying art, but I was giving up hard-earned bucks <laughs> for yeah, a drawing. That's really <laughs> significant. I yeah. mean, that concept yeah. that there's art in the world and you like it and that it's worthy of spending your money yeah. on it, yeah. most people don't have that notion. Yeah. You know, I mean, how many times have you had come into your gallery some guy who's worth absolutely millions, but they've never gotten over that hurdle? Yeah. That, that yeah. just, that They just don't see the value never, of art. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's not just the value of it. It's just as a behavior. It just yeah. doesn't feel natural to mm-hmm. them. Oh, I've uh, I've had the biggest objection of my life. Uh, I've gone over to a client's house five, six, seven times, and he's a scientist. But not only is he a scientist, not that scientists don't buy art, but he he's challenged because he's colorblind. Uh-huh. <laughs> so all the cells of look at the red and the blues do not matter to him. He does not see it that way. Um, well, I see a Franz Klein in his future. <laughs> oh, and I, and I told him, I, and I specifically said, we need to get you some monochromatic work. Uh-huh. Um, and his wife said, he's just not, he's just never bought art. And he just never had an interest in buying art and just doesn't understand why people buy art. So I let them teach each other. And I just come in and educate them on the artist and try to teach them about the artist's 
on its own principle and let them take from it what they want instead of sort of saying, now do you get it? Do you see what I'm talking about? Do you understand what I'm saying? Because uh-huh. to me, those are too confrontational. Hold on. When you say them teach each other, who are the them? The, the wife and husband. Oh, I yeah. see. Okay. Yeah. Because she's with him long. There was a painting that she wanted and wanted and wanted and wanted, and he just didn't want it. And she just wanted it, wanted it, wanted it. And, and I told her, I said, you need to work on him. You need to tell him why you love it. What is it that you love about it? You know, because you have more experience. You grew up with the family that bought art. You know, you need to talk about the experience more so than I like the painting. Yeah. Uh, so that he understands that it's, it's emotional. I've been in that place, though, when I used to work the floors. And I'd find the trap is not so much, you know, one of them loved it, one of them didn't get it. And you go to where you are, which is let them do the sale. But often they don't have the language. Yeah. You know, and I don't mean fancy art dealer language. I mean relationship. Oh, I've, I've become a. I've turned into a therapist in situations where I'll say, "Okay, That's here we go." Where I'm going. Oh, some, yeah. I tell them, "I'm like, okay, here's the deal. You love it. You don't. Why don't you let her buy this one, and the next mm-hmm. one you get to pick?" <laughs> and then they're like, okay, that's fair. He goes, but you know that that's never going to happen. That <laughs> She's always going to get what she wants. <laughs> but, you know, but I've been able to cross that hurdle when, you know, the, one of the spouses says, or maybe yes, she gets a painting, you get a car. Yeah, she you know, I get to get this, you get, you, I get to pick one thing, you get to pick another thing. Sometimes I say in the gallery, mm-hmm. you pick one painting, you pick one painting, I'll make you a better deal if you get both, you know, and, and it's worked, you know. And sometimes, you know, they laugh because sometimes I'm dealing with salespeople. I'm dealing with other people that are in the industry and they appreciate that. They appreciate that roundabout way. And sometimes I get a compliment and say, you're good. Uh And to me, that's the best compliment in the world because we are salespeople. This is a sales-oriented business. Um, The joke that I can sell, you know, iced Eskimos, I probably can. (laughs) (laughs) What color do you want it in? (laughs) I used to always feel weird about that compliment. Yeah, I know, but that I never wanted. I never wanted to be a salesperson. I mean, I argued for years and years and years about being an art salesperson, and the reality is, I fell into it, made a lot of money, and liked the money, and was able to pay off bills, student loans, give money to my family. So I had to get over it myself, but I I taught about art. I basically explained how art is more than just a purchase. How that you know, to me it was educating them about the art and artists, which I still do today, and letting them understand that I'm not selling it to them, I'm explaining it to them and then they can take it or take it or not. I was in situations where some clients would be like Okay, that's awesome. I'll take it. And I'm like, what? Because I never was selling. I was just telling. Hey, I'm sorry to cut you off. Like I told you, this is going to be a two-parter. And we will, I promise, come back to the second part of my conversation with Alex Salazar. But for the first part, wasn't that fantastic? I mean, Alex is a fascinating guy. And trust me, part two, just as fascinating as part one. It's a whole different chapter about Alex's journey and the things that have been coming up in his experience today. But in the meanwhile, I want to thank Alex. I really appreciate the time he gave us and especially a great conversation. I also, since I'm thanking people, want to thank the folks who have continued to write reviews and review us over at iTunes. 
the ones who continue to send emails in to say hello and let me know about what they're thinking about the show. And uh, I want to thank you. But for now, may all the coconuts fall at your feet. Good night, my art dealers. Good night. This has been The Art Dealer Show. You can find out more about The Art Dealer Show at our website, artdealer.show. You can also find us at all the cool social networking places under the same handle of, yeah, you guessed it, Art Dealer Show. Mm-hmm.